0: Hello and welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Anyone with a passing understanding of Judeo-Christian theology knows the concept of God as judge. But before we get to trial, charges have to be filed. Founding Pastor Randy Pope continues the series Romans 8. Four Secrets to a Satisfying Life with the third part of this sermon entitled Rest in God's Security, which covers Romans chapter 8, verses 31 to 39. For more information and to watch or hear other messages, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. Let me pray. Father, thank you for Randy. Thank you for uh, the ways in which he... um, continues to be used by you in such significant ways. Thank you for the heart you've given him for your word, and thank you for the ways in which you are blessing our church through the continued teaching of Romans chapter 8. Would you anoint him this morning, fill him with your spirit, and give us hearts that are soft to receive your word. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Jeff.
1: Well, good morning to, uh, to each of you. It's uh, always uh, good to see folks here in the, uh, in the room together. And for you that are, that are watching online, uh, welcome to all and happy Father's Day. You know, I, uh, whenever have we had a time in our lives, and I doubt there are any of us in this room for sure uh, old enough to remember any harder times than what we're going through right now uh, in this country. Um, most challenging, I, I don't know that we've ever had as many different perspectives uh, held by good people, uh, many godly people, uh, and even different perspectives about what's going on as well as the response the church should have to the things that are going on. Uh, as never before has there been as little tolerance uh, given to those who have a differing opinion or conviction as to what we believe is the right perspective to be held, a uh, lack of tolerance even for not even s- sharing broadly uh, what one might believe. I mean, it's just a, it's a very, very, very challenging time. I've been asked, do you miss being in the senior leadership of the church? Uh, that's a no, uh, th- you know. Uh, some of my peers have asked, how did you, did you have a direct line from God to know when to uh, to, uh, to leave this role, <laughs> but uh, I will say this. Uh, I know all too well uh, for the years and the younger I was, the more it was the case, that uh, I'd give it my very, very best to speak as honestly and openly and with the deepest conviction that I had only to find that I would be beaten up by people from both sides. I could never say it in a way that, oh, they loved what I had, and they loved. No. It was always you were close, but you And I I got beat up. And uh, and I know it's the same for Jeff. You need to know, Perimeter, uh, this is not an easy time for your church's leadership. Uh, I had lunch with Jeff this last week. And we, uh, we talked at length about perspectives and views and convictions and all, and I, I came home and I told Carol, I said, this I can say for sure, Jeff and I are on the same page. That I rejoice, but in even saying so, we may be on the wrong page, but we're on the wrong page together, as is, I think, uh, the leadership uh, of your church I would like to, uh, to close asking of you as a, as a church family. And Jeff did not ask me to, to share this, but I, I'm going to ask two things. I'm going to ask of the church family, first of all, for humility. As strong as uh, you may have a conviction in your perspective, as much as you would think this has got to be the case, Always remember humbly that you may not be as wise as you think, that you may not be wiser than all others who are godly people who might have a different perspective, and that you would try to give it your best to say, I'm going to share humbly. Uh, For years I have tried as the pastor of this church, to say when I was sharing some of the deepest convictions that I see in the Word of God very clearly, but I know that people may differ. I always, always will say, but I may be wrong. I hope you've heard me say that hundreds of times, but I may be wrong. I've taken great criticism for saying I may be wrong. How can you say you're wrong? You know that's right. And I say I know that I'm a fallen person and nobody has it all perfectly together. So I ask you to embrace humility during this time. And the second is to dispense grace. I had a, a dear good friend in ministry years ago who would, who would get to these difficult issues to address and would put his hands like this, and the congregation knew exactly what he meant. It meant please. Give me grace. I'm giving it my very best. Give me grace. And I ask that you would show grace. I beg all of you, regarding your beliefs and your convictions, share them, but share them graciously. Uh, Disagree with others, but do it humbly. Uh, uh, Be more concerned about the expressions of your heart than you are about the defense of your position. Both humility and grace, they're expressions of the greatest command that God has ever given, and that is to love one another. His greatest command was not be right and convince everybody. He says, just show love. Let me pray for the leadership of this church. Father in heaven, I pray for Jeff and all the leaders of this church that you would give grace and that we the people, we the people might give grace the same grace may we be reminded that we are the greatest recipients of grace may we be the greatest distributors of it grant that we pray protect jeff protect that elder ministry team protect other staff protect uh, the officers of this church and the people of this church protect us all that we might be known as people who love and we ask it in the great name of our savior asking you bless now as we open your word We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me, if you will, uh, to the book of Romans chapter 8. We're in verse 33 today. Let me ask you as you're uh, looking for the text, do you ever um, ever mess up morally? Uh, The answer is yes, but when you mess up morally, uh, do you ever find yourself, even after you have literally gone before the Lord as a Christian, said, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm wrong, forgive me, You're, you regret it. Maybe that night during the evening, early morning hours, you awaken for whatever reason. And you lay there and you can't go back to sleep. And you hear a condemning voice. And the condemning voice is screaming that you must not love God. You must, be, you, you, you must be illegitimate, even doubting perhaps your own salvation, and certainly questioning, God, I know you can't love me much right now. I can't believe I blew it like that. I don't know if you can relate to that. I do. Our text in verse 33 of Romans chapter 8, what a great text, if you relate to what I just said to any degree. We're in the 31st through the 39th verses in our series entitled Rest in God's Security. I'm going to read the text, and, uh, and then we'll uh, dig into the 33rd verse, which is our text today. It reads like this, beginning in verse 31. What then shall we say to these things, the things that have been said previously? If God is for us, who is against us? Now, that's question number one of five questions that he is raising in order to be able to say, look, I've got to convince you of something. You've got to rest in God's security, and to do so, you better know the answers to these questions. You better think about the implications, in fact, to these questions. He throws a second of five. He He says, he who did not spare his own son but delivered him over for us all how will he not also with him freely give us all things? There's question number two. And so we've already done those two the last two weeks. Uh, if you've missed, I encourage you, go back. Uh, fill in what you have missed. It's a very important text. It brings us now to the, to the one we'll look at today, verse 33. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Next week we'll look at 34. Who is the one who condemns? Jesus Christ is the one who died, yes, rather who was raised, and who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. And then the last of the questions. What a great way to end this text. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? just as it is written, "'For your sake we are being put to death all day long. "'We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. "'But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer "'through him who loved us. "'For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, "'nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, "'nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now we come to our third question, uh, who will bring a charge against God's elect? I'm going to read verse 33 one more time just to make sure that we're all together on what's being asked here. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies Uh, This brings us into the courtroom, in essence, because this is courtroom language. This is legal language that's being used here. Uh, This idea of a charge means an accusation. He said, who's going to bring an accusation, a charge against? And he talks about God's people, but he doesn't just call them God's people. He doesn't just say followers. He doesn't say Christians. In fact, the words that that we are left with here, just uh, who shall bring a charge, what might we think? I'll tell you what we think when we're laying down in the middle of that evening. Condemnation seems to be the sense of feel, and uh, uh, we just hear the condemning voice. And we would say, I'll tell you exactly who's bringing a charge against me right now. I think God is bringing a charge against me. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh I, I believe that, oh, I believe that my conscience is bringing a charge against me. Yeah, it is. Well, I think, too, Satan is bringing a charge against me. Well, he's the accuser of the brethren, isn't he? What do you mean, who will bring a charge against God's elect? You're acting as if nobody can bring a charge against God's elect. And the answer is that's correct. And that raises a little bit of question that most Christians, I'm convinced, have not got fully resolved in their thinking. This is where he puts an end to that. By the words of the text, here's what he says. Look at the words. Who should bring a charge against God's elect? Uh, Do you know, Christian, that we have to be able to see ourselves as God's elect? We have to. If we think... Oh, I'm a follower. Oh, I'm a. No, no, no. You better think. Well, I, but then we say, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't even like that word. The elect. That's that Presbyterian stuff, isn't it? Isn't that predestination? Isn't that stuff where God chooses and all that stuff? I don't like that stuff. My response is to say, oh, please, please, please give it more thought. What's there not to like? about what God has done for us. Do do you not know he's referring to the verses that just precede this, 28 through 30? Don't you like the idea that you're foreloved by God? Don't you love the idea that you've been called by him, that you've been justified by him, that you one day will be glorified? Doesn't that, you you know you can't just pick and take this one out and keep this one and are you going to throw them all away or are you going to keep some of them? What, What do you, no, 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 no. This is, you've got to know, you're the elect. we well, taught that whole series uh, what that means, but uh, just to know this, Christian, the foundation of your and my faith must not be in the fact that I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. no. Now, if you want God's security, you don't look at what you and I have done. You look at what he's done. It's not that I follow. It's that he elect. He elects. It's his work. He justifies, not us. So the question really is, can anyone successfully bring a charge against God's elect? No. Because of the next words. Look what it says. It is God... Who justifies? There is the, there's the big aha. Who can bring a charge against God's elect? And he didn't stop there. He says, you better keep this in mind. It is God who justifies. Justifies who? Well, the elect. Well, what do you mean justifies? Declared righteous. Declared fully, totally righteous. Once for all action. The word is actually in the it is a done deal never going to be changed you have been justified now this takes us into a little theology it's all theology but this is some doctrines of, of understanding the work of the law you know I'm convinced most Christians don't really understand the work of the law in fact if you ask most Christians what is the law we'll get different answers and many of which are right. Then we say, well, you know, which are right, which are not, and how do you hold one up against the other and so forth. It's a little confusing. Lloyd-Jones, Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of the great commentators of years past, he makes four statements that I think I just want to read to you. And it may just go, okay, what is that? Who cares? What is... No, no, no. Listen carefully. Remember this, Christian. You want the depth of God's riches? Then mind... In depth, the word of God. Don't run away from the, the deeper truths. Here's what he says four statements. Number one, man's relationship with God is a legal one. It is legal. You got to know that. It's a legal one. His relationship is not just, oh, I love you, I experience something, I feel something towards you. No, no, no. It is a legal relationship. Number two, God Himself has constructed the law which governs his relationship with man, which means he's not going to relate to you one way and he's going to relate to you a different way. No, he has a law and he's going to relate to every person according to his law. Number three, God not only is the lawmaker and its administrator, he's also the judge. And so he, he is the one that has all say in all matters that relate to His law. Come to number four. Any charge brought against man must be brought in terms of the law, hear this, and nothing else. So imagine that you have children. Your children are playing together. They get in a little tussle. One's mad at the other and so forth. And one comes to you and says of their sibling, you need to punish Johnny. What did Johnny do? Well, I want you to punish him not because of what he did. I want you to punish him because I don't like him. And I want you to punish him. A good parent is going to make a judgment. And it's going to be based on a legal understanding that we have in parenting, which basically says, all right, we're going to punish when there is violation of what is required not because you simply don't like them. Folks, to understand, that is exactly what God is trying to say to us. He justifies. He's not just saying you're justified. He says he, God, is the one who does the justifying. God's the one who pronounces what? Well, the N-E-B Bible and many other translations uses the word acquittal. Well, that's true. We are acquitted. It means that uh, we really are removed from blame. But folks, that is not enough. That's not what this word really is saying. He's saying, oh, it's far more than that because you can't just remove blame. What you have to do is you have to have that blame transferred to somebody else or that blame remains there. Those are the only options, and that's the gospel. That's what we know of when we say that Jesus came. He took the blame that we have, and it's transferred to Jesus. He takes that blame, then he's punished. That's what Calvary is all about. And we have to get that in our minds to really understand, oh, that's, that's why I'm not blamed. That's why no one can bring an accusation against me. Certainly God's not going to. He's the one who actually justifies Why did he justify? Because because I decided to follow Jesus? No, it's all based on what he did on our behalf that by his grace enabled us to do what we do and say, I will follow him. I tell you, you see, folks, it's not just, okay, we've been pardoned. No, we've not just been pardoned. We have been pardoned, and then we have been imputed with the righteousness of his son, Jesus. It's what we call the great exchange of all exchanges. It's the text that you find in 2 Corinthians 5, 21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become, what? The righteousness of God in him. We become fully righteous. You see, that means that God is both the one who justifies, he's just, and he's the justifier. A text of Romans 3, 24, and verse 26, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Amazing. You see, what this is saying, folks, so you're going to read the Bible. You do read the Bible, and you see uh, no longer under the law. You read that terminology, or you read the terminology that says you are now dead to the law. You read those texts, Romans 10, 4. You read the text, and you go, well, what exactly, what does that mean? I, I, I'm no longer, I, I'm dead to the law? And this is where Christians get very, very confused. Because they don't understand. What does that mean? You've got to know this. In the Bible, you take the entire Bible, there are three usages of the law. I'm going to tell you what they are. Put the first one up. Pedagogical. It's the, uh, it's, it's the story of, uh, of basically understanding the law as it is given as a work uh, of a teacher, the function of a teacher. That's what pedagogy means, and that's the law. It's a a teacher to us. It it gives us a knowledge of sin. We see the truth in God's perfect righteousness in Scripture of of what righteous is in his law, and we see it, and we cower before it. We say, ah, I can't do it. I can never. That's way too much. And God's saying, absolutely, that's how I'm using the law, because you're not a believer. You don't follow me. And what it's going to do, it's going to be a tutor. As Paul says in Galatians, it's a tutor to lead you to my son Jesus. That's the beauty of the law. It's it's kind of like the the dust particles that are always in the air, but we get close to a window on a bright, sunny day and raise the shade and we see, oh, my goodness, look at the dust in this room. That's what he's showing the sin in our heart. It's God's great gift of grace to give us the law as a tutor to drive us to Jesus. Once we become a Christian, no more needed in that function. Well, is there still value in the law? Oh yeah. Number 2, civil. There's the civil use. A civil use is God just using his laws to restrain sin. Oh what it does not do, it doesn't restrain sin. It restrains sinful behavior. It doesn't change the heart at all. Not at all. But I'll tell you what, it will stop because of punishment. We say, well, I won't do that. And God says, use my law. It's good for that use. But don't ever think that it's going to change your heart. It'll drive you to Jesus as a non-Christian to change your heart. It'll drive you to Jesus if you come to faith to help you see your need for him. But not going to change your heart. The law was never intended to do that. There's a third usage, and that third usage is that which we call the moral use. The moral use of the law. That's where God says, hey, my stipulations, I gave them in the Old Testament, in the, in the Ten Commandments, and all the commandments, moral commandments of God, flow out of those ten, and they are to be used for you, Christian. Therefore are you and me. It's the great gift of God's grace to say, you love me now. You follow me now. In gratitude, you want to obey me. And what if you're left without instruction as to this is what brings honor to my name. This is the way you live. And when that happens, oh, we love the law. That's why David says, oh, how I love the law. It's my meditation day and night Please don't believe, Christian. Don't believe this idea that in the Old Testament, people lived under law. In the New Testament, we live under grace. That's not true. No. People who are believers in Jesus, they live under grace in the New Testament, and those that look to Messiah in the Old Testament, they live under grace. Non-Christians, Do not follow God. Do not submit to him. They live under law in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, meaning they have to live under the law's demands, which call for justice, blame, and punishment. That's the idea of the law. I know people say, but why do we need all this? Why do we need the law? I was having lunch with, you might remember, uh, one of the dear uh, men of this church uh, years ago, who, um, Leonce Crump, who was on our teaching team, now pastors here in Atlanta. Leonce asked me at lunch one day, he says, why are the people of my generation so against the law of God? Why do they keep saying, just give me grace, just give me grace, just talk grace, don't tell us? They want experience, but they don't want the demands of God. And what's the answer to that? I'm telling you, the answer to that is to realize that, no, you fall in love. You want to know the heart of the one you love, the will of the one you love, and you want to do the duty of the one who asks. And it becomes a delight because of a love relationship. I'm going to close with this. I want to say a word to the Christian. I want to say a word to the seeker. Christian, so what happens now when you blow it morally? I hope you know you are forgiven and you are pronounced innocent. Why? Because you're justified. Well, what happens if you have some horrible immoral action right before you die? What about suicide? What happens for the Christian that, that does that? Oh, we haven't gotten it yet, have we? Oh, forgiven, declared innocent. Why? Because God is the one who justifies. A friend asked me counsel and said, tell me, I'm being accused of something. This man said, I, I've been accused of something that is not fair, I didn't do, it's not right. And I didn't know the pain of being accused of something. And it, it hurts so bad, I can't handle. I'm accused as if I'm guilty, and I did nothing wrong. I did not do what I'm accused of. How will I save my reputation? How, how, how? I say to that, my friend, which is worse? To be accused and not guilty or to be accused and guilty? I don't like either one of those. It's a hard debate, isn't it? The good news. Christian, we have a third option, and that is to be guilty and not accused. See, our standing with God is either on one ladder or the other. you got to decide where are you standing. Are you standing on the ladder of your own merit? Or are you standing on the ladder of Christ's merit on our behalf? Are you standing on your own morality? You're standing on the merit of Jesus. I'll tell you what, when you, when you began to see that, oh, I, if I stood over here, I would be so guilty, but because I stand over here, it's it's a whole different thing. Now it's an issue of, of standing and status with Jesus. And once we see that, we begin to rest secure. Seeker, wouldn't you have to think we got something good as Christians? It's offered to you as well. It's offered to you by Jesus when he says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. How do you come? Answer, just as you are. How do I know I'm elect? You come to him. How? Just as you are. Close with a story. story of Charlotte Elliott. Probably don't know her name. Lived in a Christian home, godly, godly Christian home. At 30 years in her life, 30 years of age, she encountered some medical issues that left her debilitated. Her health was gone and great pain constantly and, and depression began to set in as well. It became a lifelong struggle for her. A pastor, friend of the family, Pastor Milan. He came to her one day and he said, have you ever experienced peace amidst difficulty? She was so upset. She was offended. She was defensive. But those words kept nagging on her. She sought help from him. And in doing so, she confessed alienation with God. She'd been experiencing a long time. And he said these words to her, come to him, Jesus, just as you are. And she came to a faith walk, never lost her pain, never lost even a bout with depression she had to follow. But one day, she wanted to go to a church event. And the church event She couldn't go, she was in such pain. So what she did is she found herself grabbing a piece of paper and a pen and she wrote the words that expressed her heart. And when she did, she found a piece that touched her in a significant way. She published that little thing anonymously, didn't put her name on it, but she published it in a little article thing that she wrote and never heard more about it, didn't know. A lady in England saw it, and she put money behind it and published it broadly. One day, Charlotte Elliot was at her doctor, grieving in pain, struggling to remember the truth, and her doctor, a Christian, said, this little song may minister to you. Take this pamphlet and read the words. And she sat there and she saw the very words that she had written years before. And it birthed for her a ministry, a lifetime ministry of writing hymns. That song we know of, It's Just As I Am. The very song that Billy Graham, if you know that name, greatest evangelist of this last generation, Billy Graham heard that as a young man and he heard that song and he said, that expresses my heart. And he walked an aisle and became a follower of Jesus. And he used that same song in every one of his crusades throughout his lifetime. Great hymn. Verse 2 simply says this, Just as I am, though tossed about, with many a conflict, many a doubt, fighting and fears within, without. O Lamb of God, I come. Seeker, would you come to Christ right now? Would you come and just say, I come as I am? And begin living guilty but not accused. That's the life that you and I want that's resting in God's security. Trust him by just bowing and say, I come to you now. As we pray together, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the, the great truth here. And we pray that the truth of your word in this verse 33 would come to mind and even this night when we awaken and we feel the heaviness of life, we feel the guilt of the heart, whatever it may be, that we might just remember this great truth. Oh, God, you don't even bring a charge against me. Forgiven and justified. Thank you. God, hear the prayer of friends right now, unknown friends that are listening that need you and have never come to you. May they now bend the knee and bow the heart. May they fall in love with you, and in doing so, fall in love with your law. We love you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: You've been listening to the Perimeter Church podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information to give us your feedback and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.